Uh, let me start us with a prayer here, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of dive in tonight. God, I want to pray that you just open our hearts to your word. I thank you for bringing us together tonight, and that you would, I just ask that, that yeah, that you would convict our hearts as we uh, think about what it really means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So uh, the, the the scripture that I want to start with is actually not one of the ones that, that we read earlier, but it comes from Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews seems like it was written to, um, you know, probably some Christians who maybe a second generation of Christians, not the the ones who originally heard from the apostles, but they were a little bit removed from that, and and the question that seems to have arisen for them was, you know. Well, I mean, like, kind of all these different, like, Judaism's about as good as Christianity, and it's a lot easier if we kind of go back to that. And so there seemed to be this this uh, question of, like, is this message really any better? Is it really any different? And the writer of Hebrews goes through this painstaking thing to answer, no, like, Jesus is superior in every way. It's a very non-PC kind of message that he has to speak. And I think it's one that speaks to us because there are messages from, you know, in our culture that's like, oh, everything's kind of the same. Everything kind of teaches the same thing. Everything's kind of good. And I would say a resounding no to that. I would say a resounding no. There is deep issues and problems that we see when people don't follow Jesus's teachings. And we see that even in countries and places that are considered Christian because they have some sort of a Christian heritage. But we can clearly identify the problems as the things that don't line up with the teachings and life of Jesus. But even with all of those problems, when you look around the world, it is the countries that have a Christian heritage where everyone wants to move, where everyone wants to get in. And it's not the countries that have, because ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. They transform the way that we live and the way that we live together. And when we figure out what we believe about God and what we believe about people and what we believe about the, the universe and the world and these things, that those things create our politics and our ethics and, and the way that we live together. And they are not the same from place to place because those underlying ideas are not the same. And it's not enough to say, like, well, everyone has some version of the golden rule. Well, yeah, like every household parents probably say, like, be nice. That does not mean you grew up in the same household. <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that you were shaped in the same way. Because at some point, somewhere along the way, someone said something similar. We're shaped in deep ways. And the, the message of Hebrews is about the superiority of Jesus in every way. And as he's coming to the end of his argument in chapter 10, and so if you want to follow along, I'm going to start in 10, 19. You can look it up. <clears throat> he is, he's looking at what has happened in Christ, and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And so his image here is under, under the old covenant, there was this place where God's presence was especially felt or encountered called the most holy place. 
And only the high priest could go there, and only once a year could he go there. And the, the, the writer of Hebrews is basically saying, like, Jesus ripped down those walls. And now you can go there anytime you want. You can have that level of exclusive access to God anytime you want. Way better than the old system. <clears throat> And he says, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. In other words, like you have unprecedented access to God. You can come close to him whenever you want. And your sin and the things that once would have felt like it was a barrier, it doesn't have to be a barrier anymore. He cleans you from all of that. You've got access. But it doesn't just sort of stop there. He's, he's building this whole case. He builds this thing that our faith is superior in every way. It gives us access to God in a totally new way, a totally better way. But then he says, and let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the movement here is, is from understanding God to understanding community. That when we get God, all of a sudden the immediate natural movement is about how we live together. And that's no surprise because even we've talked before about the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis and how God creates things and everything he creates, he says it's good, it's good, it's good. Over and over again, it's good. There's not The, the Bible does not start with a story of brokenness. It starts with a story of goodness. I think it's raw. I think it's immature. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's good. But then, in chapter 2, we, we hit all of a sudden a jarring beat, because all of a sudden God says it's not good. Something that he's made isn't good. And when he says it's not good, he says it's not good for the man to be alone. And it's interesting, because Adam isn't really alone, right? He has God. Isn't that what all these worship songs sing? Like, that's all we need? You know? But God says, no, that's not good. Not that it's, it's not good for him to be with God, but it's not good for him to be just with God. That is insufficient in God's mind. The movement is from relationship with God to community. And God is the one that initiates that movement for us. I think a lot of times we have a desire to grow in our faith, but we have a completely wrong idea of how that happens. In Mark 3, verse 14, Jesus has, you know, all these different people following him. But Mark just observes, he said, he appointed 12 as apostles that they might be with him. Jesus picked 12 people so they could be with him. See, his instruction for them is relational. The instruction happens in the context of a relationship, not of a classroom. A few chapters later, he sends them out to go preach. It's a part of their training. 
that he sends them out two by two. Again, in the context of relationships is where these lessons happen. We have a lot of ways of dressing up selfishness and self-centeredness and making it look spiritual. I remember I was studying um, in one of my seminary classes this past year, we were talking about the earliest Christian monks and uh, the the people that sort of when the, the... Uh, Roman Empire kind of became Christian, all of a sudden the message was sort of watered down, everyone's a Christian, there's way too much money, um, and and people aren't really taking the faith seriously, and so a group of, of men and women started moving sort of out of the cities and out into the desert to try to live their faith, and they have this reputation for being incredibly uh, ascetic in their practices. They're like fasting all of the time and you know hardly eating anything, working really hard and just sort of this really like harsh treatment of the body kind of thing. And that was just sort of all I knew about them going in. But when I started really studying them and reading some of their writings, it just I was struck by how everything they did was really about learning to love. And it was usually the young ones and the ones that were just starting that thought it was about fasting or praying all day or doing these different things. And it was the the older ones, the mature ones, that were teaching these different lessons. There was a story about one of these, they would call them abbas, these like fathers, or amas, the the mothers. Um, But one of these abbas who, uh, when one of the younger monks got caught, with like a a girl in his room and they had been, you know, having sex. And so he goes in there first and he, and he's like the oldest, most important person and everyone's coming, you know, with their pitchforks or whatever to, to discipline. And he, and he like walks in and, and realizes really quickly that this girl is hiding in his chest, um, you know, where he keeps his clothes. And so he goes and sits on it. And then when everyone else comes in, he directs them where to look for her the whole time. You know, and, and then after they all kind of leave, and they're like, oh, I guess she's not here. You know, and then he's like, okay, go and send them. It's not what we expect. There was one who had been fasting for weeks, and, um, and when a visitor came, he like set out the table and had this you know, meal with them. And later on, the visitor was like, oh, someone told me you were fasting. And he was like, yeah, he goes, but I can fast anytime. You, I only have with me right now. And he broke his fast because it was about love. There was another one who, uh, when the these, these group of monks were kind of like fighting and couldn't get along, but obviously were very self-righteous about it and who was closest to God, and they were arguing over who was most spiritual. And he just drew a circle on the ground with a, a stick and um, in the dirt and, and then put you know a dot in the middle and says, that's God. And you guys are on this outer circle and there's no way for you to get closer to him without getting closer to each other. And he said, so if you're further from each other, I can guarantee you you're further from God. Wow. These were wise people. They understood something that we miss. We think that we're being spiritual, but selfishness is creeping in in subtle ways. We think we can be this kind of lone wolf, but for Jesus. It's all through our culture. 
you know, Perry read us a scripture about the body, and I just get this picture. It's like, Jesus, I don't think he sees a lone wolf who looks kind of cool. I think he sees, like, you know, in one of those, like, house of horrors where there's, like, the foot in the jar floating. It's like, yes, that is dead. That is a dead thing. Or maybe we're like, well, it's just me and the head. And then I'm like, that's a monster. Like, a head on a foot? That's just a monster. Like, that's, that haunts my dreams. <laughs> It's not a pretty thing for a Christian. You're a part of a body. I think sometimes, uh, and especially this time of life, we think we can be like a kind of a social butterfly, like hopping from place to place. Maybe we even give it a spiritual veneer of like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm a prophet, so I'm going to speak where, you know, speak God's words wherever I go. But I think often what it ends up looking like is that I'm just kind of like a mercenary. Showing up wherever I get the biggest payout that week. Whoever pays me the most. And I'm definitely not going to show up if the need is greater than what I get for it from him. I see it in this, like, you know, people figure out that, like, oh, no one's going to court tonight, so I'm not going to either. It's not going to be great for me. I'm not going to show up. Do you know how much that sucks for your corpus who spent time prayerfully planning when you don't show up? And it's one thing when you don't show up because you have a good reason. It's another thing when you don't show up because someone else had a good reason. That's just immature and selfish. Some of us think the church needs us as critics. Oh, we're going to be so, so helpful as the critics of the whole church. The church doesn't need grumpy people. It needs hopeful people. It needs fans. True fans understand the problems that they want success. They don't want to look smart themselves. What do you think Jesus did criticize? There was something there, but so did the Pharisees. And I want to ask this one out loud. What do you think was the difference between how Jesus was a critic or criticized and how the Pharisees in the Gospels criticized? You guys think out loud with me. What was the dif- what were the differences? It was Okay, focus on the heart. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay, so she's saying, yeah, Jesus was as much more interested in motivations and what was going on in the heart than sort of the external behaviors. Andrew, what are you saying? Yeah, it, um, it was, yes, he was concerned coming from a place of love and growth. Uh, I think the only time, even even when he got angry and put those tables, there was, yes, there was concern, but he wanted, he, he, want, he knew that to be passive about that wouldn't be right, but he didn't do that repeatedly in every situation where he critiqued someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not how I got to say. Okay, okay. Well, okay. Jesus criticized his Sorry, I don't have trouble here. I'm old. Jesus criticized because he knew he could do better, but the Pharisees criticized because they knew he could. Okay, okay. Maybe. No, did they think that? I don't know if they were humble enough to think that. <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, he, he maybe he had more of a right in those cases. Okay. Um, I was going to say the Pharisees criticized out of the fear of losing power and making people look bad, whereas Jesus criticized just for honoring people. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they, they criticized to keep power. Jesus kind of knew he was going to lose it if he opened his mouth, and he went for it anyway. So very different. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, Jesus, sorry, the Pharisees would criticize according to misinterpretation of the scripture, whereas Jesus would criticize according to correct interpretation of the yeah. scripture. So there was a difference in how they interpreted scripture. Yeah. Um, Jesus forgave and loved people before they looked righteous outwardly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jesus, he kind of started with, I mean, you know, again, you have to remember when Jesus is criticizing his disciples, he's already brought them in, elevated them, invited them along and everything that he's doing. He's like, come on, guys, like, show, show a little faith, you know, but, but they, you know, the Pharisees are coming in from the outside offering that thing. Anyone else have something on that? You know, I think Matthew 23 is a chapter where you could go, because it is probably the, the most intense criticism that Jesus gives, and a lot of it is of the Pharisees, his biggest critics. But he talked about things like, he says, you know, you tie up these heavy burdens on people, but you don't lift a finger to help them. That there was, there's such a difference there, because Jesus was, it's like, yes, I'll point out what needs to happen, but then I will fill in the gap for you. You know, and, and whatever you do, that's going to be enough. And the Pharisees, it's like, whatever you do is never going to be enough. Very different. Jesus was all about majoring in the majors. You know, that's what Caroline was getting at with, with the heart. Uh, but, but they were majoring in the minors. He told me, he says, you, you're so worried about tithing the, you know, from the little uh, herbs that grow in the sidewalk cracks. And he says, but you forgot about, like, justice and mercy. <laughs> you know, the big things. So Jesus could do that, but he was all about helping. One of the ways we look for that in our community, we talk about uh, this faith acronym that we use to sort of assess readiness for leadership. And the I in that is about initiative. And one of the ways that I, I look for that is you know, people that don't have the eye complain but don't do anything about it. And people who have the eye, you know, they wait for someone else to fix it. And people who have the eye, it's like, yeah, I may see a problem, but I'm, I'm already moving into it. How can I fill the gap? How can I help? How can I serve? That's what Jesus did with my sin, right? Is he just moved in and he took care of it. It wasn't even his. It wasn't even his responsibility. He just took responsibility. He took ownership. And so how can I do any less with other people's sin? That's kind of what you know, Dylan read to us, Romans 15, 7. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's what's going to bring praise to God is when we act like Jesus. And we act like Jesus by offering that same kind of love and forgiveness and filling the gap for each other. This is good news, right? That he accepts us just as we are. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to be smart enough. We don't have to be holy enough. He just wants us. Is that how you look at the body of Christ? It doesn't have to be good enough. It doesn't have to be holy enough. You know, it doesn't have to have all the right answers. Or do you use a very different standard with his body than he used with you? How do you
do you see this room when you come together? I was I was encouraged this morning. I was talking with Paul, and he was talking about just a shift in in his perspective on Friday night. And he said, "I used to look around and see a room full of strangers, and now I see a room full of potential friends, you know, potential brothers and sisters." What do you think Jesus sees when he looks around this room? You have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul says. We have the mind of Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians 2. Look through his eyes, and that's going to that's gonna take us out of our comfort zone. Meet someone who doesn't look like you. You know, God has blessed me so richly. I mean, it's funny how many years we've been meeting even in this room. Um, but God has blessed me so richly through these Friday night focus meetings and before when they were on a different night. I remember meeting Mandy at a focus, never suspecting how God would bless my life through her, the kind of friend and sister she would become to me. You know, I don't I don't specifically remember meeting Peter the first time, but I do know it was at an at an F and F, and I remember some of my early conversations with him. I didn't know that God had bigger plans for that, but I was open to what he had. I remember meeting Lindsay at a pizza theology. I remember people talking Rhett into to giving FNF a try, and that involved him changing his work schedule to be able to be here and serve. You never know what God wants to do. See, I think for a lot of us, it kind of boils down, and we do this with Sunday morning church as well, it kind of boils down to this attitude of like, this community isn't good enough for me, it's not good enough at meeting my needs, whatever. And that's just BS. See, if you aren't giving your gifts fully, that's the, the scripture that Perry read to us, right? If, this is, if you have this ability, you're supposed to bring it to the body. If you aren't giving fully of yourself in Christian community, then you are the diseased part of the body. You're the one that takes nutrients and energy and doesn't do its job. You are the foot on the shelf <laughs> while the body hobbles around on crutches. Grow up and show up. That's what Jesus asks for us. Serve. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body, with what you have, with everything you are. Romans 15, he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So much of the Christian culture right now is just all about how to please myself. And we wonder why we're not very mature. That's just what little kids do. He says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, because Christ didn't please himself. That's just not, that wasn't his motive. That wasn't his driving force. He didn't get up every day and think, like, what's best for me? What do I want to do? What sounds most fun to me tonight? Like, none of these are questions that I read the gospel and think, like, yes, that is Christian maturity. And yet we think, here's, here's the problem. We think we can selfish ourselves into Christian maturity. I think I can be, if I'm just self-centered enough about my Christian maturity, I will become mature. But that doesn't work. Those two things are antithetical to each other. 
You can never selfish your way into looking like Jesus. You can never prioritize yourself and become more like him. That's just not who he is. I think the core issue of this kind of naive, sometimes not very naive, arrogance in the church today is, is just we, we somehow want it to be about me. But as long as it's about you, I promise you, you are not becoming like Jesus. All the Bible knowledge and all the quiet times in the world will never fix that problem. You'll reap what you sow, and if you sow self-sacrifice, if you sow service, you will reap those things from Christ. Guys, this community has the opportunity to light this canvas up. There are a lot of sad and lonely and anxious people here. That's what Travis was talking about. There are a lot of people who've never really heard that Jesus loves them. I remember uh, one of our apprentices sharing a couple years back about studying the Bible with a girl from uh, China and how as they were you know, going through and she was talking about you know, some of these scriptures about God loving people and God loving the world. And, and the girl was like, but that's white people, right? And she was like, no. Like, and she took her to some other scriptures, like, that's all people. And the girls start crying. <laughs> you know, we think, we think this is old news. It's not. And more and more in our world, it's not old news. It's, it's a news they've never heard. That's heartbreaking. And when I think about even just this meeting and what it can mean to the people who come into our campus, just stories jump to mind. I remember walking, uh, having one of the freshmen tell me, he's like, yeah, I was walking with friends from class, and as I walked through like the student union and down the middle of campus, like people were saying hi to me and I was greeting. It's like there were all people I'd met at FNF, and people were like, how do you know people? <laughs> I'm like, that's how everyone's college experience should be. You know, and he was like, I feel like I'm living a movie. You know, it's like that I know all these people. And, and I get to walk through campus and it's not lonely. So many people have met their best friends at FNF. They've met their roommates. So many lonely people have found a place where they can come after a tough week where they maybe feel anonymous. And so many people know their names give them a hug, and smile when they see them, just because they showed up. But the question is, are you one of the people that knows names, and uses them, and smiles, and gives hugs? Are you a part of that? I wish I knew everyone's name. I'm, I'm getting older, and there's just like a million people. And over the years, there's even more and more people. And I'm trying, but you know, it's like I, because I know what that means. I know what it means to me when one of you knows my name. And I want to offer that gift. You know, one of the stories I've heard over and over again, I was thinking about Katie specifically. Katie Gordon uh, was our, our faculty kind of advisor for a long time before that. Long before that, she was a freshman that came to focus, and she tells this story of that first night, and, and one of the girls kind of walking up to her and asking her to like go to lunch the next week. She's like, I thought that was so weird. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, good. We should be weird. Why are we trying to be normal? Normal sucks. 
that it, it was weird, but it rocked her world. It transformed her life in every way and continues to. So let's be weird in the way that we reach out, in the way that we, we love one another. I can think of so many people who've met their spouses at FNF, a lot of them in this room. Some of them asked them out for the first time in this room. Some of them had conversations with their future spouses, close friends and roommates in this room to find out more about what their character really was and to help refine it. I love looking around before and after and seeing people praying for each other because of a, a message that touched their heart or a song or something in their life that hit hard. You know, I love it when people come, not just when it's great, but when life is really bad, that they come to worship God and because they know they're going to be supported here. So many people have leveled up their faith because the teaching here is not designed to just sort of regurgitate what you heard in high school. It's designed to ping you, to challenge you, to make you think, to make you question. And so they've had their ideas and assumptions challenged here in ways that just core with peers is never going to do. It's not designed to do that. But this is. So many people have learned to be more, I'm one of these, to be more expressive and loving in their worship to God in this setting. You know, I definitely came from one of those like churches where like if we were being the rebellious teenagers that week, we would clap for one song. You know, but that was like we were like really leading the church. You know, it's like and and you know, but and then I came to focus and it just totally blew my cool. As a freshman, it was crazy. They were cra the people were crazy back then. It was worse, but no, <laughs> but it was so good for me. So many people have learned to be more expressive and loving to their friends here. To see people tell each other that they love each other, to see people show physical affection, to break the cool of the world and the distance that the world is placing between us. See, that's the power of our, our fellowship, whether it's Friday night or Sunday morning, when it's done right. It's the power of F and up F and F when you show up and you actually show up. Because guys, when a, when a child of God shows up, God shows up. Are we ready for that? Do we take seriously when Jesus says, when two or more of you are gathered, I'm there. Are you ready for that? Who knows what could happen if every one of us showed up every week in the power of the spirit of the living God. What would it be like? It's time for us to get serious about these Friday night meetings. This isn't a social club. This is a ministry. This is pastoring. This is transformative. We've seen it over and over again. And some of you have even shared that. I'm not saying it's not happening. But I'm saying it could happen a lot more. And some of that transformation is slow, and that is very good and right. It doesn't have to be flashy. But sometimes you need to show up ready for God to do something tonight. And knowing that he might.
Praise team, come back up. I think a lot of times we are just kind of asleep at the wheel. We're just kind of going, expecting nothing unusual to happen. And the scripture that I was thinking about, because it does get into this idea of Christian community, is in Ephesians 5.14. And Paul just says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to do when we come together. And that's what we have the opportunity to do for the rest of the evening. So I'm going to pray for us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to your presence, to what you want to do. Um, I just thank you for the people who've showed up tonight, and I pray that we would show up tonight. And I want to pray for the parts of our community that, that need to hear this message and that aren't showing up, and that we could go out in the power of the Spirit and share this invitation. And I want to pray that, that you would do something powerful on this campus and in the lives of people who are seeking you here in the coming weeks and months. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.